morning, everyone. Just letting you know that this year and other years, we, we don't always mention this, but our Advent readings are written in-house, so by writers in our midst. And so um, I hope that you hear that it's really suitable to our community. This morning, my hope is in you not being like me. That's an amazing statement, right, when we're talking to God, that he's not like us. Do any of you remember, as a child, uh, these, these calendars that were cardboard with the little windows? Do you remember those? I don't know if they still have them. If you're a parent, I don't know what you're thinking. Do not get them. I, re- I remember... Um, waiting each day for that. You have to realize that as a child, my nickname was Spaz. And so waiting for a piece of chocolate every day was a perfect illustration of Advent. And I'll tell you why, because I lived expectation from going to bed at night until the next morning. A horrible example, but an example nonetheless. And Advent is a time of anticipation. It's a time of expectation. And often, I think we enter into Advent thinking that we're waiting for the baby Jesus. We're waiting for God to become flesh. But we know that he came 2,000 years ago, so we can't be waiting for that. My hope is that we're actually expecting new life inside of us. that what we are expecting is new experience of the divine meeting flesh, of the incarnation. When Joseph and Mary showed up to Bethlehem, it was a busy town. All of the hostels, all of the rooms, all of the apartments, all of the Airbnbs were full. There were no empty rooms because people had come from all over to do the thing they were supposed to do, the right thing to be counted. The rooms weren't full because people wanted to be there, not necessarily. They were full because they needed to be there. They had to do there. They had to do the right thing. And I wonder if this Christmas season, if we're already full of doing the right thing, but also full of other things like fear, stress, anger, sorrow, pain. Is there any room in us for the Christ? For the one who holds all things together? My question as we begin Advent is, will you make room for God-made flesh inside of you? And the hope that the God-made flesh should give us is this, that being human is good. God didn't come and take on flesh to say, Humanity was bad. No, he came to show us that it was good and could be good. And that this world of material, this dirt, this earth, this air, this water, is a gift. It's worth saving. And that our bodies are gifts. And that God really is present to us. So in this first first week of Advent, in our expectation... We speak of hope. And hope is not found at the end of all things. Wishing that all the pain is gone, that the streets are paved with gold, that we will never hurt each other, 
No, hope is found at the beginning. And it's found all throughout, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens, and what did he say? Heavens and the earth, it was good. It was good, it is good, and it will be good. So God first reveals his goodness to us in creation. He reveals his goodness to us in his son. And then he does this crazy thing. He reveals his goodness to the world through broken people. And why wouldn't God reveal his goodness through broken people? After all, wasn't his son broken for us? It is this underlying goodness, this stream of God's faithfulness, that gives us hope. And we are lucky enough that we can participate in showing this hope to those around us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-11. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jar clays, clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed down on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we get up again. Oh, sorry, that's the song. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. This, to me, is an amazing description of hope. Because hope isn't the expectation that we won't go through hard things or that things are going to get better. Hope is when we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. Hope is when we are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Hope is when we get knocked down, but we get up again. And hope is when we go through things and we know we're not alone. As people, it seems like we like to avoid pain. And I am really guilty of this. Uh, I try to laugh through things to try to make pain go away. We want to avoid the struggle. But the struggle is really important to us in how we grow. Just do something for me right now. Think about someone who's your hero, who you admire. Picture them in your head. Now, if they have any quality of character, I bet you can't name someone who did not go through great trial or great struggle that you admire. Right? Think of Martin Luther King. Think of Terry Fox, more recent people. Mother Teresa. They all went through pain. Think of Jesus as he prays in the garden immediately before he's arrested, right? For me, this is one of his most human moments. He sees what's before him. He, he knows what's coming. He knows it's going to be painful. And he prays for the cup of suffering to be removed from him. That's often my prayer. Remove this cup of suffering. And to be honest, it's a good prayer because it, it acknowledges that God can and will sometimes remove the suffering. But it also acknowledges that God is with us in the struggle. That's why we cry out. 
But Jesus goes beyond that and he says, but even if you don't take away this cup, your will. And I know that you will be with me. Not my will, but yours. And I most often pray this poorly and say, not your will, but mine. But in this moment of Jesus' suffering, we see this idea of hope. He will soon face torture, ridicule, rejection, and death. And yet, there is a quality to Jesus' life that shows the light of hope in him in that moment. In the midst of rejection, in the midst of the face of death. King David wrote, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And we too have access to this, this light of hope because Christ lives within us. He is everywhere. His light is our light. His light can shine out of our broken vessels. Or as the great poet Leonard Cohen said, ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Hope tends to produce this quality of life, like a light within. As a kid, we had this really macabre uh, artwork in our house. It was this massive, I think it was about six feet long, four feet high, and it was full of stuffed real animals. There was no light in them, though. There was no quality of light like this light of hope. Hope wells up from within us when we know that at the bottom of everything there is mercy and there is love. The merciful love of God. And though it seems to come from within us, it, is not, it does not begin with us, but with the ever-flowing river of mercy and love. Cynthia Bourgeois says it really nicely. Hope would be the mercy divine love itself, coursing through our being like lightning, finding a clear path to the ground. I love that. Hope is the mercy of God flowing through us, making its way to the earth. After all, we are simply earth. We're dust. As we've said here many times, we are dust and breath. And so if mercy and hope go hand in hand, then maybe we need to rethink what mercy is. Because my picture of mercy has often been two people fighting, one person bloody and beaten down. And as the, the winning person goes to strike the final death blow, the person on the ground cries out, mercy. Or I have the image of someone standing before a group of people who are condemning them, and they are crying for mercy. But the word that's most often translated, in the Old Testament at least, uh, is this word he, in a Hebrew word called chesed. And you know what that means? Fierce, bonding love. Mercy is fierce, bonding love. That seems really far from my idea of mercy. But it seems so like the forgiving, loving gift that Jesus gives us. And he's the only one who has the right to condemn. But instead he says, I don't come to condemn, but to save. Another Hebrew word that is translated as mercy 44 times is racham. 
and I'm probably saying it wrong, but I'm just putting an accent on it so it sounds intelligent. And it, it means a womb. God's mercy is a womb. God's love is a womb. Or it means compassion, right? David uses this often. So in 2 Samuel 24, 14, David says, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. Psalm 25, 6, remember, O Lord, your mercy and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. These are all rackham. Psalm 40:11. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. And Psalm 103, 4 and 5, he redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills life with good things. My youth is renewed like eagles. I tried my hand at a little translation because I thought that doesn't really describe what I'm talking about or, or even the Hebrew word. So here's my version of Psalm 103, 4 and 5. He gives new life from death and fills us with his love. She places us safely in her womb where we can grow in newness and we are sustained. This is hope. That even in the midst of terrible things, God lovingly places us in his womb, allowing us the place to grow. It is when God acts in compassion. And what is compassion? Together, suffering. It is when God suffers with us. Jesus calls us to follow him. And as we think about that night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, we must remember that he had no room to be welcomed into this world. He calls us to follow him and we remember that he was rejected by his friends. He calls us to follow him, and he feels rejected and abandoned by God. Father, why have you forsaken me? It is these moments where we find hope, where we experience the womb. Hope cannot be tied to outcome. It can't. If, if Jesus' hope was subject to outcome, he would have looked around the barn and died or wanted to die. He would have given up when his friends and family rejected him. He would have given up on the cross when he felt the rejection of people and he couldn't see or feel his father. I know that we just did Romans, but... Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither the death Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation would ever be to, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as Paul's hope 
in this was not built on outcome or circumstances. Jesus' life reminds us that hope is built on the fact that we can never, ever be separated from God's love or his mercy. Never. Never. Say it with me. Never. 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 Sorry, I was in a service yesterday and they did a lot of that, so I'm just trying my hand, you know. Our anticipation of Advent is also tied to hope. In my childhood, that, that Advent calendar filled me with anticipation. But it did not fill me with hope. It filled me with sugar. The anticipation I had was tied to the result of me getting something. Something sweet. But we must remember that hope on following Jesus should not be dependent on outcome. Although we know in the end, all things will become good. If our hope is tied to external happenings, I hope I get that job. I hope I meet someone and fall in love. Then it is depending almost on the stars aligning. But if we look inside and find hope, realizing that God is omnipresent, even deep within our being, then hope is not conditional. It is simply present. Philippians 4, 10 to 14 says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to, how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Paul believed this overarching theme of Scripture. Not that God makes everything better, but that he is present to us, which does make things better, perspective-wise. Imagine if we as people got everything that we thought we needed. Think about that if you have kids or family that are kids. Imagine if you gave them everything they thought they needed. We would be more spoiled than we are. We would be more entitled than we are. And we're already really entitled. But thankfully, God doesn't give us the things that we think we need. He simply gives us presents, which we do need. But you must know that what we really need to do is to walk through the hard stuff. Only death can lead to new life. It's the only thing. We see that pattern all through the Bible. Jesus had to walk through death before his new life. We have to walk through death before we have new life. And only death can lead to new life. We must face many deaths as people. This makes us more human, which I've already told you is good. More like the human one, the second Adam, Jesus. But we never face death alone. That is hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, three things will last forever. Does anybody know what they are? I heard faith, hope, 
and love. Three things that will last forever. Seems weird that hope would last forever, doesn't it? But hope is built on the enduring mercy, the compassionate love of Jesus, of God, God's love, which will endure forever. His mercy will last for eternity, so hope will also last. Hope is not waiting for the kingdom of God to come and then everything will be okay. Hope is living the kingdom in the midst of this life. Hope allows us to see that along with, that all along the kingdom of God has been in front of us, right there in front of us. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. It's already there. Hope does not rely on outcomes. It rests in presence. Let me pray with you. God, we thank you that we can rely on your mercy and that it is everlasting. In the midst of a crazy world right now, God, which they have been saying forever, we thank you that we can have hope in the midst of it because we know you are present. Help us to be a light of hope to those around us. Amen.